Luke chapter 3 this morning. We are doing a series here at Thrive that we've been really excited about. It is called A Luke at Jesus. Everyone say, A Luke at Jesus. And don't let the cheesy name fool you. The fact is this, that we have been going over the past several weeks into looking at the person, the amazing person of Jesus Christ according to the gospel of Luke. And we've found this, this, that, that in this series we've been doing, we've been learning some amazing things about Jesus, the amazing things that he did, the amazing person he is. And uh, we have been really having a good time through the series. Having a good time in the series so far with us? Yeah, we've had an awesome time in our series here so far, and today I've got the honor and the privilege of taking us through the next edition of this series called Luke at Jesus. Would you please help me read Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22 this morning? Let's read in a big, loud voice as we get into the message this morning. One, two, three, what does it say? It says, the people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Keep on going. It says, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to them this uh, added this to them all he locked John up in prison when all the people were being baptized Jesus was baptized too and as he was praying heaven was open and the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with you i'm well Please, we'll stop right there. See, this morning we are talking about a message I'm really excited about. Uh, and before I tell you the title of this message, let me tell you a little bit uh, about what happened this past week. You probably saw this on social media, if you've been on Instagram or Facebook. It's something called the 10-year challenge. Have you guys seen the 10-year challenge? Something like that, where often I think it started with celebrities. They said that 2009 was a really big year for social media. Uh, it's kind of the kind of like the breakthrough year when social media really became a thing. And so for the past 10 years, it's been huge. And now now, uh, you know, these celebrities are kind of looking back at the past 10 years and kind of comparing a photo of them 10 years ago with the way they were are today. A lot of them say stuff like, oh, what a difference 10 years makes, and they look exactly the same. Uh, it's one of those things where I think they probably are kind of like, hey, I haven't aged at all. But this is the thing is, in case you're curious, would you like to see some 10-year challenge photos from uh, Pastor JB and Pastor Shar? You want, you want to see that? Are you curious? Okay, you want to curious what uh, we looked like 10 years ago? Okay, here we go. Here we go. I know it's tough to tell which year is which. I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, when the presence of God is a fountain of youth, I, I, I know, I know. Uh, but you know, obviously, Pastor Shar hasn't really aged at all. I, on the hand, other hand, the 2019 version of me looks like I've eaten the 20, 2006 version of me. Um, but that's just the way it is. We've got another one where, you know, our, our family has, of course, expanded uh, over the years. And so, uh, you know, we've got us there. And so that's kind of a look back at not just 10 years, but that's about 13 years ago. Uh, that's us just uh, last month there. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the 10-year challenge, a lot of people have been talking about it. A lot of people have been using it to bring awareness to different causes. Uh, and this is the thing. Today, the message I want to share with you is called Changed by Unchanging Love. Changed by Unchanging Love. See, I, I'm going to put it to you today that I would think that, that when God looks at the 10-year difference that has happened in your life, as it relates to your life, I would put to you that what God is most concerned about uh, is not how many wrinkles have uh, appeared on your face after 10 years or how slim or, you know, uh, how not slim you are after 10 years. Uh, 
uh, whereas people tend to focus on appearance, the Bible says God focuses on the heart. And uh, as it relates to your life, if God were to do a 10-year challenge with you, I believe the kind of questions that God will be asking us are not, do you still fit into that dress? Or how, big, how much bigger are your arms today than a decade ago? But I think he'd be asking questions like, am I more loving today than I was in 2009? Uh, am I still the old selfish me otherwise? You know, am I more patient 10 years uh, forward as opposed to a decade ago? Uh, or am I still really kind of a hard person to deal with when I don't want to wait? You know, am I more joyful? Am I more persevering? Am I wiser today than I was 10 years ago? Or am I still making the same basic mistakes that I made in, in, a, in another decade? Are my relationships with people healthier than they were 10 years ago? Is my relationship with God stronger than it is 10 years ago? You know, am I a better husband or better wife than I was a decade ago? Am I you know, a better father today than I was 10 years ago? You know, am I a better, you know, whatever it might be, whatever God has called you to do, am I further along in that calling that God has called me to do or called me to be than I was 10 years ago. In the words of our church vision, am I more alive worshiping Jesus than 10 years ago? Am I more expectant, growing more like him than 10 years ago? Am I more involved serving Jesus with my talents than it was 10 years ago? Am I more out loud and leading people to Jesus than it was 10 years ago? Am I more united and loving my spiritual family, my church, than I was 10 years ago? See, God loves you just the way that you are, but he didn't make you to stay the same. Amen. Let me say that again in case you didn't miss it. God God loves you just the way that you are, but he didn't make you to stay the same all your life. In fact, he made you to change. He made you to transform into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why the message I'm here to share with you today is called Changed by Unchanging Love. How do we change and become the greater version of ourselves that God made us to be? The wiser version of ourselves, the more thankful version of ourselves, the the more persevering version of ourselves, the more courageous version of ourselves. We're going to talk about that today. So if you're interested in not wasting 2019, but you want to be able to do a challenge years from now and say, you know what, I am stronger today than I was back in 2019, then let's get into this message right now together. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 3 verse 21? We're going to begin with the end in mind today. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3 of Luke. What does it say? Read it with your big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Stop right there. See, since this verse is talking about baptism, let me show you one more old photo. Can I show you one more old photo? Okay, here's this old photo. This is an old photo of me getting baptized. I was um, 15 years old, okay? Uh, I just gave away my age, but the fact is that back in 1993, I was still in high school. Back then, I still struggled with insecurities. Uh, I still had a lot of immature things that I did. Uh, I still had a lot of questions about life, questions about the future, questions about the Bible, questions about God. But, uh, you know, one day, you know, I, I responded to this message that was saying that, you know, God, he loves us. Even though we've sinned against him, he still loves us. And he sent his son Jesus down on the cross for sins. And I responded to that message. And in response, they said, you know, one of the basic things you do is you get baptized. And so I did that. I put on a, a, a white gown like you see right there. You don't necessarily have to wear a white gown to get baptized, but it was just a way for us to get into the water. And as I got in the water, come back up. Uh, it only takes a couple seconds, but it's a declaration to say, I need a savior. His name is Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And, and that's what happened. That was my baptism. And baptism, if you know, is not a graduation. It's a beginning. 
Baptism is not you saying, I have it all figured out. I've got no more questions at all anymore. It's you simply saying, I know I need a Savior, and I know his name is Jesus. That's all that baptism is. And so if you have made that step of faith and said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that because of him, my sins are forgiven. Then what? you know what? Your next step is to get baptized. Maybe you received Jesus Christ at a Christmas service just a few weeks ago. Maybe you received Jesus even more recently, like last week. If you were, if that's you, then you know what? You are ready to get baptized because it's about not saying, I don't have any more questions. I've got no more insecurities. I'm the most mature person on the planet. Rather, it's simply saying, I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. If you believe us, say amen. So I encourage you to do that class that we talked about earlier. Get to know Thrive Church. It's our baptism class as well. Sign up for it as well. That's why I got baptized. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed a Savior. I knew his name was Jesus. But why did Jesus get baptized? Because that's what we're talking about today. We're looking at Jesus' baptism. And see, Jesus didn't sin. Jesus didn't need a Savior. Jesus, in fact, is the Savior. So why would he get baptized? Have you had that question before? In fact, you know, John, the guy who's doing all the baptizing at the time, he had that same question. If you read the Gospel of Matthew and you read Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, you're going to find that when Jesus comes up to John and says, would you baptize me? John is puzzled. He's John's, he, he, they're, they're cousins. They've known each other all their lives. All their lives, John has known this is going to be an amazing man of God. He is the Messiah that we're all waiting for. And then, so so he looks at Jesus in the eyes and goes, you, want, you are coming to me to get baptized? I should be baptized by you. You come to me. And then Jesus says to him, let it be done as it is because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. See, what does that mean? See, the reason why Jesus was baptized wasn't because he sinned. wasn't because he needed a Savior, but it was so that he could identify with you and with me. See, Jesus didn't just identify with us in our sin when he died on the cross but he even did so when he got baptized in the Jordan River. And it's in identifying with us that he would be the perfect mediator between God and people. It's in identifying with us that he understands your struggle. It's in identifying with us that he knows what you go through, the temptations you struggle with, the problems you deal with, the hurt you struggle with. Aren't you glad that you have a Savior who's not distant from your problems, but who understands and sympathizes with you? Amen. That's the Jesus that we know and serve. He is the one who comes to save. And when he got baptized, he did so to identify with us. Look at verse 21. Keep on reading. It says, And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You know, sometimes you will hear in Christian circles, you read about this in books, about something called the Trinity. Everyone say the Trinity. And what is the Trinity? The Trinity is this idea that there is one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And see, it's a mystery how that all works, how there's one God who exists as three persons, but that's what the Bible teaches. And here we see at Jesus' baptism, all three persons of the Trinity— at the baptism of Jesus. We've got God the Father, he's the voice in heaven, right? You've got the Holy Spirit who's there. You've got Jesus, God the Son, who's getting baptized. And they're all in relationship with one another. They're in perfect relationship with one another. The most perfect small group that ever existed is the Trinity. That's Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And what here what we see is we see God the Father speaking to his son, Jesus. And this is what he says. Would you underline these words? You are my son whom I love. 
Now, I want you to notice something here. At this point in history, Jesus has yet to be a public figure. Jesus has yet to start his public ministry. No one really knows about Jesus at this point. He's not preached a single sermon on record. He hasn't healed a single person, as far as we know. He hasn't cast out a a single demon. He hasn't done a single thing that would make him famous and beloved by multitudes in his day and billions of people since then. No one knows about Jesus at this point. And yet, as Jesus is being baptized, in the water and as he comes back out God the Father says to his son I love you son and I'm proud of you and one of the lessons we can learn from that about God's love is this write this down God loves you unconditionally God loves you unconditionally see in other words God's love for you is not based on your performance God's love for you is without condition if you believe that say amen and see, but you may be here and saying, well, JB, like, maybe that's just God giving Jesus a report card. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus, you've been such a good boy all these years that you've been, in heaven, been on earth. You know, when you were a baby, you never cried, you know, you know A+. Plus. You know, when, when you were a toddler, you were walking, you know, so fast. And when you fell, you still didn't cry. You know, when you were in grade one, you were the perfect boy. You know, grade four, you never got into detention. You know, adolescence, you know, the, all, these, all these other friends of yours were doing all these weird things, but you never joined in with them. A++++ plus 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 for all that. You know, when you got to college, you were the perfect, you know, trades student in, the, in, your, in, your, in your father Joseph's carpentry shop, you know, so good, you know, and, and all that stuff, and, and he's giving a, a report card saying, you are my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. No, that, that's, not, that's not what's going on. See, what God is communicating, God the Father is communicating a love for his son that is before he did anything that was going to be of any note in history, and that's because God's love is unconditional, and the reason why you can put it to you and say God loves you unconditionally is because long before you ever thought about God, long before you ever tried to reach for him, God reached for you when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Is that when we could have no way of reaching God, when our sins separated us from God, and our sins warranted that we be separated forever from God. We had no right to get to God. We couldn't meet God's standards if we tried, and the fact is, what we deserved was separation from God, death eternally, but God said, no, I'm not going to quit on you. No, because I love you, because my love is not based on your performance, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to come to earth. He's going to die on the cross for your sins. And he's going to rise again to life to show that your sins can be forgiven. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, not only are your sins forgiven, but you are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And because of Jesus, you can always say, the best is yet to come. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Because that's what God does for you. And for me, God's love for you is unconditional. Turn your neighbors and say, God loves you unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally. That's why Romans says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for you is unconditional. That means regardless of what you said last night, regardless of what you did last week, regardless of what kind of mistake you've made in your past, God loves you as much as he always had. And because God's love for you is not based on what you do, it's based on who he is. And the Bible says, God is love. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place for the unconditional love of God. His love doesn't change for you with the seasons. His love for you doesn't change with the weather. It doesn't change with your mood or how you feel about yourself. God loves you on your best day just as much as God loves you on your worst day. It's because God's love for you is unconditional. Amen. Maybe you grew up in an environment where you felt like your love or how loved you were was based on all these conditions. 
where you have to meet certain conditions in order to be loved by anybody. That's not the way it is with God. He loves you with an unconditional love. And this is what I find, is that the more you experience the unconditional, unchanging, life-changing love of God, it changes you. It changes you from the inside out. You're not the same person that you used to be. And, you know, we can try so hard to come up with New Year's resolutions and go on diets and do all these different things by our own willpower to try to change ourselves. But what I find is this, is that there's nothing that changes a person's life like the unconditional love of God. In fact, I would put it to you this way, is that it is the experience of God's unconditional love that changes us is that the way that your life changes is not simply through your own willpower, but it's through the unconditional, unchanging, life-changing love of God. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes about this in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. Would you read it with me, big loud voice? What does he say? It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, when Paul says that you would know this love, he's not just talking about, you know, knowing it intellectually or knowing it philosophically, but he's talking about knowing it experientially. He's talking about experiencing that love such that you know it by experience. And see, here's the thing. When you know God's love, not just as an idea in your mind, but you know it because you've experienced it, it changes you. It changes you from the inside out. It changes the way you look at yourself. It changes the way you look at your life. It changes the way you look at your future. It changes the way that you talk to the people in your home. It changes the way that you treat the people around you. You become a better friend because of Jesus. You become a better leader because of Jesus. You become a better servant to others because of Jesus. You become a better teammate because of Jesus. Do you believe that? Say amen. And my prayer for you in 2019 is that you would know the unchanging, life-changing, unconditional love of God, is that you will find that as you know this love, it will start changing you from the inside out. You will be changed by unchanging love. Now, the question is this, how? How do you get changed by the unchanging, life-changing love of God? See, as powerful and as important as baptism is, and we talked about it just now, I find this is that it's not so much those one-time experiences like baptism that cause you to experience God's love for the long term of your life on earth. What I do find is that what is even more important is what you do on a daily basis. It's the choice you make every day and how you respond to this amazing love that God has for you. And so I want to end this morning by talking about three habits that you and I can focus on in 2019 that will help you experience God's unchanging, life-changing love. And I encourage you to give your, your like, uh, you know, take some good notes in this place this morning as you look at three habits to help you experience God's love. Number one is this. Write this down. If you want to experience more of God's unchanging, life-changing love every day, practice humility. Everyone say humility. Say it again. Humility. Read with me verse 15. Read it with me right now. It says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. God didn't know this. John is the guy who's baptizing Jesus. At this time, John is the famous one, not Jesus. At this time, John is the big deal, not Jesus. John at this time, he's, if this was today, he'd be on every Instagram feed. He'd be like, everyone want to be on, be friends with him on Facebook. He'd have you know, just like a blowing up Twitter account. He'd have, you know, his, his head 
would be on every you know, T-shirt. He'd be in the news all the time because this John was a big deal at that time. He had a miraculous birth. People prophesied even before he was born that he would be great in the sight of the Lord, that God would use him to bring many people to him. And when John actually starts preaching, the impact he makes is huge. He's out in the countryside, and yet people will flock from all these different cities to go to the countryside to see him, to hear him preach, to get baptized by him in the river, and he is, becomes the most prolific teacher, prophet, and you know, minister that Israel has seen in at least the past 400 years. And if he were ministering today, you would hear his name all the time. That was how big John had become. He became known as John the Baptist. And many of the Jews at that time were watching John. They're listening to John. They're seeing all these things happening, and they're thinking to themselves, man, this John guy, could he be the Messiah that we've been waiting for for all these years? Could he be that saving king Messiah that's going to deliver his people and rescue us from bondage? Is he the one that all these prophets have been prophesying about and the scriptures have been foretelling his coming about? Is it him? Is it him? And, you know, John, his response was this, no. It's not me. John's mission from the very beginning was not to point people to himself. It was to point people to Jesus. And see, in fact, this is how he would respond. Look at verse 16. How did he respond? Read it with me. He says, John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, what does John mean when he says, one more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie? See, what does that mean? See, do you know that back in Jesus' day, back in John's day, untying the sandals of someone else was a very special job. It wasn't something that a normal person would do. It was reserved for the lowest of servants in your household. And that's why people were shocked when Jesus would get down on his knees, put a towel on his wrist, and, and start to take the sandals off of his disciples and start washing his disciples' feet because he was doing something that only the lowliest of servants in a home would do. And what is John saying? He's saying, I'm not even worthy to wash the feet and to untie the sandals of Jesus. That's because that's how great Jesus was and is in John's mind. That is called humility. Everyone say humility. And then when John later on says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? John is saying, hey, guys, when I dunk you in water, that baptism, that's called a baptism of repentance. And when you go into the water and come out, that is a symbolic thing. It's symbolizing the work that Jesus is one day going to do in your hearts. And so what I'm doing symbolically, Jesus is going to do for you in real life from the inside out. And what is he saying? He's saying, my baptism doesn't compare to Jesus' baptism. And see, he's pointing people to the greatness of Jesus. On one hand, it shows you just how great Jesus is, that no one compares to Jesus. But on the other hand, it also shows you something else. It shows you that John had humility. He had humility. And because John practiced humility, Jesus would later on say, among those born of women, there is not anyone who's greater than John. But see, here's the thing. What's the lesson we can learn from all of that? Is that the greatest kind of leader is not the leader who arrogantly just kind of orders people around and throws his weight around. But the greatest kind of leader is the one who serves the needs of the people around him. That's the great kind of leader that God made Jesus, God, or that, that, that Jesus was, that John was, that God made us to be. And so in your home, in your church, in your, 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 in, in your school, on your, in that team that you play on, you know, in your workplace, you know, be a leader who serves others. Because that's the greatest kind of leader there is. If you believe that, say amen. And if you want to experience God's unchanging, life-changing love, one more thing. 
practice humility. My question for you is this, is how humble are you? How humble are you? Do you struggle with humility? Well, let me, let me first uh, you know, give you a little quiz to see if you know, humility is something you struggle with. Let me give you a few clues that maybe humility is something that we need to work on. Here's, here's a few clues. Let's see how many of these you can relate to. Give yourself a point if you relate to them. Number one is this. When I make a mistake, I'm slow to admit it and apologize. Is that you? Don't nudge your neighbor. You, you ask yourself, you know, is that you? Is that you? You can give yourself a point if that is you, all right? Okay. Number two, I'm quick to get offended and to judge others. Has that happened to you before? You're like, that person said something, and you don't really know why they said it, but you're just super offended by what they said. Number three, it bothers me greatly when people snub me or don't take notice of me. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number four, I quickly get defensive when people give me suggestions or criticism. Is that you? They're like, oh, like, you know, there's one thing that we can work on here. I think, oh, don't, don't let me hear it. I don't want to hear it. And you just got really defensive about it. Is that you? Number five, I'm slow to notice others' needs and serve them. You know, someone else in your home, they're, 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 they might be bleeding from the head down. And you'll be just like kind of like on your, on, on your, on your, on your TV or on your phone or on your device. And they're like, hello, can we go to the hospital now? Like, oh, just, just wait. It's, it's, it's streaming. It's streaming. And it, it's, it, is, that, is that you? is that you, you're slow to notice other people's needs and serve them. Number six, I tend not to ask for help or advice. I just insist on doing things my way. I don't care what God says. I don't care what other people think. I'm just going to do what I want to do. That is a clue that we struggle with humility. Number seven, I'm rarely honest with others about my struggles. You know, I, I had to learn this the hard way in marriage. Uh, you know, I can, I can probably relate to every single one of these clues that we can talk about today. But here's one where, you know, when we were 10 years ago, speaking of 10-year challenge, 10 years ago, my wife and I were still, you know, we're just newlywed still. Uh, you know, we've married for a bit longer than 10 years. But, you know, it was ju- during that time when, you know, I found that, you know, whenever something bothered me, I wouldn't talk about it with Shar. Instead, I just thought I could just take it and I just could handle it. And, and so Shar would know, okay, something's wrong. And she's like, hey, JV, are you okay? Honey, are you okay? And I'll be, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And there's, there's something's all this wrong. No, 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 I'm fine. And I w- this would carry on for like two, three days where I just would like, something's bothering me, but I'm not sharing it because for some reason I'm just too prideful to share it. And then finally, it might be 2 o'clock in the morning. We're in bed, and we're both sleeping, or Charlene is sleeping. And I'm like, Char, can I talk to you? And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? You're talking to me now? See, th- that's the thing, is that learning to be humble sometimes is about learning to let your guard down and be honest about what you uh, are struggling with. Amen. Amen. Because you're going to find this, is that humble people are secure people. Uh, and when you are prideful, when you are someone who has a lot of insecurities, you're going to find it is really tough to be humble. When you have insecurities, you're going to find that you're not going to cover up your insecurity with humility. You're going to cover it with pride. You're going to get really defensive. You're going to put up a wall. You're going to find that it's really tough to be real with people because of all these insecurities that you're hiding. And that's what happens when you've got insecurity. You get the result is pride. But when you have humility on you, you can be real with people about where you're at. You can share your struggles because that's part of what a humble person does. If you believe it, say amen. You know, being humble is not just about, you know, looking down on yourself or, you know, you know I'm such a loser. Oh, I'm ugly. No one loves me. No, that, that's not humility. That's, that's, that's just you just looking down on yourself. Humility is being secure in who you are. And at the same time, because you're secure, you're able to put others ahead of you. That's what humility is. That's what humility is. Look at number eight. Another one is this. I have a hard time rejoicing in other people's successes. Is that you? Have you ever had that happen to you where someone else is celebrating something great and you have a hard time just rejoicing with them, celebrating with them? That could be a sign you struggle with humility. Number nine, I still hold grudges against people who have hurt you 
badly for people who've hurt me badly. You're like, you know, it maybe happened 10 years ago, and you're still rehearsing your speech to them in the shower that they're never going to hear because you're just still hanging on to that grudge. Number 10, I despise it when other people show off. You know, you find that people who struggle with humility have something called pride, and they can kind of spot pride in other people pretty quickly, and it's because they themselves are pretty prideful. And so, you know, if, if you're able to spot pride in others, then I know you might be looking in the mirror. That's one of those things about humility and pride. How many of these things do you struggle with? How many of these things do you relate to? But I, I would say this. Is I would venture to say that every single one of us, in one way or another, struggles with humility. And if you struggle in this area of humility, you know this, is that a lack of humility causes stress in your life. That when you have a lack of humility, it causes conflicts in your relationships unnecessarily. It causes you to get easily upset and to lose your peace really quickly. It causes you to have a very limited relationship with God because God says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if you struggle with humility, is there anyone else who struggles with humility here? Am I the only one? If you struggle with humility, can I give you two suggestions this morning? Is if you struggle with humility, first, ask God to make you a more humble person. Don't just rely on your own willpower to say, oh, I'm going to be more humble. No, ask God. Because God can give you the power to change by his unchanging love. You can say, God, I admit, I repent. I admit that I have been such a prideful person, that I am such a prideful person, that you know, I get so offended so easily. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, just, I just have such an issue with pride. Please forgive me and help me to be more humble. When you do that, what you're doing is you're giving God room to do things that you can't do yourself. You're giving God room for his unchanging, life-changing love to work in your life. And after you ask God for his help, here's a few things you can do. Take one of those clues, any one of the clues that we talked about earlier today, and do the reverse. Do the opposite. So for example, if you are slow to apologize, go surprise someone this week and apologize quickly. Amen. Amen. So like husbands, if you're slow to apologize to your wife, uh, you know, do something that's going to just totally surprise them and go, hey, honey, I'm really sorry for yelling at you that day. And they'll be like, thank you for finally apologizing. And all the women in this place said, you don't want that? Okay, well, you, you, and all the men in this place said? Okay, the men want it more than women. Okay, I guess it is. You got, you got some humble men in this place. Praise God. Now, here, here's another one. If, if, you're quick to, if you're quick to criticize, if you're really quick to judge people, this coming week, if you want to grow in humility, with God's help, hold your tongue. When you see something you're not happy about, before you just kind of instead of that, hold your tongue and think before you speak. If you're someone who is slow to serve the needs of other people, this coming week, surprise someone and be extra sensitive to the needs of other people. Go and serve that person at home who's always serving you, but you're not serving them. Go ahead and surprise them with humble service. Do you tend to not ask her advice? Go and ask her advice this coming week about an issue where you need help. Do you have trouble rejoicing in another person's success? Go and encourage and celebrate that person, even if it means you have to grit your teeth a little bit and go, congratulations. That's okay, because you're learning humility. Do you help, if you'll hold a grudge against someone that you still haven't forgiven, you can say, God, with your help, please help me to forgive that person. What are you doing? You're growing in humility when you take these steps. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 7 with me. Read it in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. What does it say? It says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God cares for you. 
God cares for you. And because God cares for you, when you respond to his unconditional, unchanging, life-changing love by trying to practice humility, you give God room to work in your life and to change you from glory to glory. So every day, practice humility. Amen? Is it helpful in this place so far? Amen. Number two, if you want to experience God's unchanging, life-changing love, changing your life, why don't you do this too? Number two, every day take God's word seriously. Take God's word seriously. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 17 with me. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, what does it say? It says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See, what's, what's, what's John talking about? What's this winnowing fork, wheat and chaff? What, what is he talking about? See, see, John, back in his day, was observing farmers who would go out into their fields, and they would have what's called a threshing floor where they'd bring all of their grain to this one flat floor in the middle of their field. And what they would do is they take this winnowing fork, which is like a pitchfork, and what they do is they grab this winnowing fork and they would stuff it into the, into the grain that they collected. They'd throw up the grain in the air. And their hope was this, is that, you know, in grain, there's two parts to it. There's the wheat, which is edible, which is digestible, which is good for you. There's the chaff, which is not edible, not digestible, not good for you, doesn't taste good. And what you want to do is you want to take that winnowing fork and you dig it into the grain. You throw it up in the air. And what happens is as the wind blows, the chaff is blown away with it. And what falls to the ground at the feet of the farmer is the wheat that has substance. And so what they do with the chaff, they pick up all the chaff, they burn it in the fire. They take the wheat that's left and they put it in a place where they can feed people with the goodness of that wheat. That's going on. And so when John says that he's come to separate the wheat from the chaff with his winnowing fork, what is he talking about? See, you got to know this, is that the winnowing fork represents the word of God. And the two things, two wheat and chaff, these represent two types of people and the different way that they respond to the word of God. See, the first type called the wheat. Everyone say the wheat. The wheat are those who take Jesus' word seriously. Is that they've got substance. And so when the word of God, that is that winnowing fork, goes into them, lifts them up, shakes them, on, sh- shakes them up a bit, what happens is they fall to the ground at the feet of Jesus. And then and, but on the other hand, you've got this other group called the chaff. I want to say the chaff. And when the word of God goes into them, and they, it lifts them up and shakes them up a bit, what they do is they fly away. When trouble comes, they fly away. When temptation comes, they fly away. When false teaching comes, they fly away. Just they don't have a strong foundation. Their substance is not quite there. And so they fly away. And the question John would have you and I to ask ourselves is, are you wheat or are you chaff when it comes to the word of God? See, when Jesus takes his winnowing fork called his word and he digs it into you, starts working it in you, starts to lift you up and shake you around, what is your response? Do you fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him and live for him? Or do you kind of just fly away when the first sign of trouble comes? See, God wants us to be wheat and not chaff when it, when, when it comes to the word of God. And see, to show us the, an example or two of how people respond as wheat or chaff we're going to see here in verse 19 that there is one guy who's very much chaff. Look at this. What does it say? Look at verse 19. What does he say? It says, But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to this to them all. He locked John up in prison. See, Herod is like chaff. 
King Herod, he's the king of Israel. He's actually a puppet king because he wasn't the, the, the rightful king. And John the Baptist is calling Herod out on some things that need to change in his life. Herod has gone ahead and he has taken as his own wife the wife of his brother, his brother-in-law. And this wife's name, this woman's name is Herodias. And so now he's committing adultery and incest at the same time. And John's saying, hey, you've got to change that. And there's other stuff in your life that's got to change. And, and you know what Herod's response is? When the word of God digs into him, what is his response? He flies away. And in this case, because he's so powerful, because he's the king and he can do what he wants to do, then he, what he does is he does the equivalent of flying away by putting John away. He puts him in prison so he doesn't have to hear him anymore. Eventually, he cuts off his head. It's because that's one way that people respond to God, is that they cut off the word of God from their lives. And they respond like chaff. They turn off their Bible podcast. They close their Bible. They go to church, but they play on their phone instead of listening to God's word. They, they just kind of shut God out, the, and they, they close the door on him. That is chaff. Everyone say chaff. But then there's Jesus. Look at verse 21. What does it say? It says, read with me. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. See, God is speaking through John. He's saying, repent, be baptized, you know, for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, in response to the word of God being preached through John, Jesus gets baptized. Jesus is the word of God. He's the son of God. And yet, with a, ho- with, a so- with a soft, humble heart, he takes the word of God seriously, so much so that he gets into the water and he gets baptized as well. And because of that, because he was so humble, God could later on use Jesus, his son, as wheat, as bread of life, to feed a world around him. Amen. And see, that's the difference between wheat and chaff. And my question for you today is this. When it comes to the, God, the word of God, Are you wheat or are you chaff? Do you seriously take the word of God? Do you read it? Do you, you know, believe it? Do you study it? Do you cherish it? Do you meditate on it? You know, one thing that happened with me is after I got baptized, I showed you a picture of my baptism, you know, many, many years ago. And and one thing that started to happen for me that uh, really helped me was after, you know, getting baptized, over the next few months, I started to do something I'd never done before. I was going to say, every day I'm going to read a little bit of the Bible. And I had this little notepad, this yellow notepad, legal pad, and I just kind of write, like, notes on what I was learning. And, you know, something very, very cool happened is that, you know, I I found this, is that when I was, you know, doing that, not only was I learning more of God's word, but something else was happening in my heart. Is that, you know, I I find this, speaking of wheat and chaff, I find this as, as if all of us, we carry these baskets around with us. And, and they're not baskets of grain, but they're, they're baskets of thoughts and feelings that we have. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are pure, some of them are impure, some of them are intentional, some of them are random. These include our plans, our preferences, our opinions, our judgments, our, all these things that we carry around, our feelings. We carry them around. And, you know, when we're interacting with people, you know, we, without knowing, we're, just, we're feeding people whatever's in our basket. And whether it's good or bad, whether it's edible or inedible, whether it's digestible or indigestible, whether it's healthy or not, we're just kind of giving it out to people to, to eat because that's how we do it. And, and this is the thing, is that if I don't have a filter for the stuff that's in my basket, I could be feeding people the wrong thing. I could be feeding myself the wrong thing. And what I find is this, is the, with, with the word of God is this, is that when I take this basket called everything that I've carried on in my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, and I go to the threshing floor called the presence of God, and I pour it out in the presence of God, and I let the word of God, this winnowing fork, start to work on those feelings, to work on those thoughts, to dig into those thoughts, to divide those thoughts, to shake those thoughts up a bit, to lift up those thoughts a bit, to let the wind of the spirit blow those thoughts through a bit, then what happens is the stuff 
stuff that wasn't edible, the stuff that wasn't healthy kind of just goes away, and the stuff that lands back and is there in the, in, 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 for me to use is the good stuff. It's the wheat. It's the stuff that has substance. It's the stuff that I can later on take on to give to my family, to my friends, and know that it's healthy because I've let the word of God filter through the basket that I have. Does that make sense? Amen. And I find that if you do that on a regular basis, you will experience the unchanging, life-changing love of God changing your life and making you healthy and whole once again. To your neighbor and say, take God's word seriously. Take God's word seriously. And so with that in mind, I'm really excited this morning because today we are launching something brand new here at Thrive that we believe is going to make a significant difference in the lives of people here at Thrive Church. It is called our 2019 Game Challenge. Come on, give God a big, big hand for 2019 and our Game Challenge. We're going to be doing this on February 3rd all the way till March 3rd of this year. And if you're wondering what the game stands for, uh, you know, it stands for, say it with me if you know it, the God and me experience. It's because we believe that you weren't made just to worship God on Sunday, but you were made to have a relationship with God every day. And so whether you already have the habit of spending time in God's word every day, or you've never tried it before, or you tried and didn't really work out, this game challenge is for you. How does it work? Well, here it is. We want, we want to make it as easy and as accessible to everyone here at Thrive to be able to have a daily time with God. And so here's how we do it. Look at this right now. Is that number one, step one is this. Sign up by filling out this really pretty, really handsome, uh, really good-looking sign-up card that you have on your seats today. And there you can sign up, put, give us your contact info. And what we're going to do is we're going to mail, we're going to email to the email that you indicate a game challenge guide that's going to really help you and give you even more info on the game challenge. Step number two, pick up a game challenge journal on January the 27th. This is a journal that we've created homemade here at Thrive with tools to help you have a daily time with God. There are going to be Bible passages in there. If you're wondering what passage or what Bible books we're looking at, we're going to be looking at the book of Luke. We're going to look at Jesus together, not just in our Sunday services, but also in our game time as well. Number three is every day, find a place to be still in God's presence, to worship God, and to pray, all right? And that could be for five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, an hour, it's up to you. Step four, each day, read the Bible passage for that day in your game challenge journal and think about it. And, you know, we're all going to be reading the same passage together, so there's certain comfort and unity that comes from knowing that you're not alone. Turn neighbor and say, you're not alone. And uh, we're going to be even teaching you during the game challenge what I think might be for some of you a new way to read the Bible a new way to study scripture. And hopefully it's going to be something that you will find is so easy to use, you can teach your kids how to do it as well. And then number five, step five is record your thoughts and your prayers in your game challenge journal. We're going to show you how to do that. Then step number six is, is that in case you're not really sure what to learn from the passage you just read that day, you can look to Pastor JV's game time sharing email that we send every morning to you to say, hey, you know, this is what Pastor JV is learning from the same passage you read this morning so that we can, you can walk with your pastor through the book of Luke together. Doesn't that sound good? We're doing this through the game challenge. We're doing this every day, in fact, because that's how we do things here at Thrive. Step number seven is, in addition to all those things, we encourage you to attend a small group where you can share about what you're learning, learn what other people are learning, can talk about any questions you have, any challenges you're facing. And, you know, we also have even bonus material that where we give you a class that's actually, told you, it's usually part of Thrive, the setup school level two, but we're providing it to you free of charge in this session called Game Challenge, where we're going to teach you some of the secrets that 
we have to, you know, having an upgraded, refreshed time with God. And people have found it so helpful, and I think you're going to find it helpful as well. How do you beat the 2019 game challenge? What you do is you spend time in God's word every day for a month. Every day. It could be five minutes. It could be 30 minutes. It could be an hour. It's up to you. But you just want to be consistent and spend time in God's word every day until March 3rd, 2019. And you know what the prizes that you get at the end of this challenge? You want to know what the prize is? Here's the prize. The prize is you get a closer relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You get a deeper understanding of the word of God. You get a daily habit now where you spend time with God on a regular basis. You have an increased ability to hear the voice of God. You have more peace in your heart. You've got more hope in your life. You've got more joy in your heart. You've got more wisdom to face what, whatever it is that you may be facing today. You become more like Christ in your character. And if that's not enough, you know, in case you need a bit more recognition than that, then I'll tell you this, is if you tell us that you did the game challenge until March 3rd, we will give you very own, very pretty, very handsome, very good looking game challenge completion certificate. Yes. That's right. Some of you are impressed. Some of you guys aren't. But that's okay. That's not the point. The point is that we want every single person here at Thrive Church to have a daily time with God. It's because when, when we take God's word seriously, we give God room his, to, to allow his, un- his unchanging, life-changing love to change our lives. Amen. And so our goal is to have over 100 people to, ha- to do the game time challenge together That's not a hard goal to reach. For a church of our size, that's not hard for us to reach, but we want to make the bar sort of low for you guys so that every single person can participate and everyone will be encouraged. Are you guys ready to take the game time challenge? Is that something that you're excited about? We are so excited to do this with you guys. This is all for you to help you experience more of God's love in your life. We can't wait to do it. And in case you're wondering how has people's experience been doing the game time challenge, let's just give me a few people's feedback. Here's one person, what they wrote about last year. They said, because of the game challenge, I started to pray to God more and more, and I feel a longing for God's words. I also feel joy in my heart having this alone time with him, just thanking God for whatever happens in my life, sharing my happy moments and my sad moments with him. Uh, another person and they said, through the game challenge, I learned to make my game time with God my priority first thing in the morning. And it gives me so much strength throughout the day to face whatever comes. Uh, here's one other person they wrote. They said, after doing game time consistently for a certain amount of time, it doesn't feel like a chore anymore. I can focus on God more and actually enjoy learning his words every day. Last person for today. Through the game challenge, God has increased the desire in my heart to know him and seek him more, especially the desire to know, believe, and experience his power in my life. Can you give God a big hand in this place for all the ways he's been working here at Thrive and through the game time challenge? It's just different people experiencing the unchanging, life-changing love of God changing their lives. And so I encourage you, if you haven't already, take that really good-looking pen uh, on your seat, fill out this card, and we're going to be collecting these at the end of today's service. And so make sure you fill that out, and this is your opportunity to be part of something that's going to help you experience God's unchanging, life-changing love in your life. Will you sign up for the Game Time Challenge? Yeah? All right, let's make sure we do that all together. Don't be the one who's left, who's left out. Make sure you be part of this. It's going to be amazing. Turn your neighbor, give him a and say, I'm excited for the game time challenge. Amen. Have you all been learning something today? Has it been helpful this morning? We're going to end with one last thing. Is if you want to experience God's unchanging, life-changing love, changing your life, then there's one last habit I'm going to encourage you to focus on in 2019, and that is this. Every day, welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. Every day, welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21 with me right now. Can you read it with me? What does it say? It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, 
heaven was open. Stop right there. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline these important words? Uh, and as he was praying. And as he was praying. In fact, of all the four Gospels, Luke is the only one who mentions this fact, is that when Jesus was baptized, when he came out of the water, he was praying. And in fact, you're going to find that the Gospel of Luke focuses very much on the prayer life of Jesus and how it translated into power in his life. Because here at Thrive, we believe that with much prayer comes much power. Little prayer, there's little power. No prayer, that means no power. Incy wincy prayer, that means incy wincy power. It's because if you want to experience God's power, you want to be someone who prioritizes prayer. See, we got Jesus, he's praying, he's getting baptized, he's coming out of the water. And then all of a sudden, it says, look at verse 22. It says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Let me ask you this question. What does that mean? When the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus up to that point had never received the Holy Spirit, and now for the first time he's receiving the Holy Spirit? No. No. He's God the Son. He's had the Holy Spirit from the very beginning of time. But see, what happened is that Jesus is there. He's getting baptized. He's coming out of the water. And as he's praying, as his, as his prayers are ascending to God, the Holy Spirit is descending on him in a bodily form. What that means is this, is that in part what it means is that God is someone you can experience. God is someone you can experience. He's not just an abstract thought. He's not just an idea. He's not just an intellectual philosophy. 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 What he is, what he is, is someone you can experience. You can feel his peace. You can feel his love. You can feel his presence. And you know, for me, I, I know about you, but sometimes for me, I know this happens for some of you guys as well, is that, is that sometimes we're worshiping in church or I'm, I'm having my game time at home. And, and sometimes, not all the time, but from time to time, I will feel the presence of God and the Holy Spirit so strong that I'll have, I'll have like tingling, almost like electricity going through like parts of my body. Like sometimes like it's my, it's my hands, sometimes it's my head. Sometimes I feel like this almost like this, this breeze that's kind of blowing through my body even though it's not windy outside. And, and it's only, it doesn't happen when I'm watching Netflix. It's not, it doesn't happen when I'm listening to you know, you know, pop music. It doesn't happen in most other contexts, but it happens when I spend time with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? It means that God is someone you can experience. He made you, not just to know him from afar, he made you to experience him. And see, what does verse 22 mean when it says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove? See, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is a dove, all right? Okay, uh, and it doesn't also mean that when, uh, you know, Jesus was coming out of the water that, the, that a dove actually landed on his shoulder, as some movies might depict. That's not what happened. See, it says the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And what can we learn from that is this, is that the Holy Spirit is gentle like a dove. God is a gentleman. He respects your freedom. He respects your choices. As much as he loves you with an unchanging, unconditional, life-changing love, as much as he longs to be close to you, when it comes to experiencing him, he will not do anything to you or with you unless he's got your consent unless you welcome him to do it. And see, that's why Jesus would say in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Notice what it doesn't say is, it doesn't say, I stand at the door and I'm going to barge in whether you like it or not. 
It doesn't say, I am Jesus, your holy home invader, and I'm going to get in there whether you want me to or not. I'm going to control you and hold you hostage, and you have to do everything I say, whether you like it or not. You ought to obey my commands, and you're going to have a chain around your neck. You're going to be you know, captive to me. No, that's not the way that God works. The Holy Spirit is gentle. He's a gentleman. And so he respects your choice. If you say, God, I'm good, no thanks. He's not going to force himself on you because he loves you. He's a gentleman. He respects you. What he wants from you is not a robot who just gets his commands and obeys them whether he likes it or not. What he wants is a relationship with you because he's gentle like a dove. Turn neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit is gentle. And see, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, can I encourage you, church, that this coming year in 2019, because God respects your freedom, because God respects the choices you make, would you use your freedom and make the choice to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life every day? Would you say, Holy Spirit, good morning. I welcome you into my life. When you read your Bible, say before you read your Bible, you say, good morning, Holy Spirit. It's really good to have you today. Could you please speak to me today? I welcome you. It's about saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome in my life. You're welcome to speak to me. Do you want to be a person who welcomes the Holy Spirit in 2019? We want to be a church that welcomes the Holy Spirit in 2019. And see, here's the thing. Welcome the Holy Spirit is not just something that takes passion, it also takes wisdom. And it's for that reason that, you know, how do you know if something's from the Holy Spirit? Say you ask for the Holy Spirit. Say you welcome the Holy Spirit. How do you know if what you receive is something from the Holy Spirit? See, if you're for, like for, for some of you who are maybe wondering about that question today, let me just share with you really quick. You know, from, from time to time here at Thrive, um, you know, I will occasionally, occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally be approached by people or a person or an individual who uh, thinks that they have a word from God for me or for the church and um, I believe that God speaks. I believe that God, I believe in the gift of prophecy. I believe that God can use the gift of prophecy in the church to build and to edify and comfort and strengthen his church. I believe absolutely in that. Um, even so, to be careful and to make sure that it is truly the Holy Spirit, what, what, these are just a few questions that I ask myself. And you can ask yourself these same questions. If ever someone comes to you, maybe outside, uh, you, know, uh, you know, in your school or in your neighborhood or somehow and comes up in conversation, someone says, I have a word for you, or God wants to say this to you, or God says this to you, you have a way to kind of filter it, separate the wheat from the chaff. Let me just give you, just not everything, but just a few questions that I ask myself to help me discern the wheat from the chaff a little bit when it comes to, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit. Uh, here are a few questions I ask. Number one is, uh, does that person practice humility? We talked about humility today, right? Is that person humble? Or does that person love to throw their weight around and, and their kind of their pride kind of gets mixed into what they're saying? Um, as part of that, does that person uh, bear the traits known as the holies or the fruit of the Spirit? That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do, do these things come out of their person's life very naturally? Um, or is, is it not joy, but kind of like negativity, and not love, but something else that comes out from them? Got you know, to watch out for that. Jesus says that uh, a, you, gotta, you will know them by their fruit, that a good tree will not bear bad fruit, and a bad tree will not bear good fruit. And so if you're not really sure you know, like about the words you're saying, you look behind and you look at the character of that person. Are they a character of humility? of love, joy, peace, patience, because you'll know them by their fruit. Turn to him and say, you will know them by their fruit. Number two, number two, does that person have a track record of being emotionally and spiritually healthy? 
See, that's really important. If the person coming to you has had a long and unresolved history of depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, mental health issues, then you got to be extremely, extremely careful about taking at face value what they say when they say God is saying this. You've got to be very, very careful. Number three, does that person have the habit of reading, meditating on, and living out Scripture? In other words, do they take God's Word seriously? Do they love God's Word? Do they themselves go through a process where they separate the wheat from the chaff when they spend time with God? Number four, is that person's advice consistent with Scripture? And see, the thing that, that, that can be a tough one sometimes because the Bible is so big and there's so much in it that you can practically find, you know, you can, fi- you can almost fi- like try to find any example from the Bible to support what you want to say. But the question is, the question is, is it consistent not with just one isolated incident you find in Scripture, but is it consistent with the story of Scripture? How God loved us, how we blew it, how Jesus came and how we need him and how he's called us to a life with him and a kingdom that we can be a part of. Is, is it consistent with that? Or is it just an isolated event in the Bible that they're trying to mix or misconstrue to, to kind of point to another direction that God never intended for you to go in? Is that person's advice consistent with scripture? Number five, do other Christian leaders, people that you respect, affirm what that person is saying? And they can say, yeah, you know what? I think that sounds like something that the Holy Spirit would say. Number six, do other Christian leaders affirm that person's lifestyle? They're like, you know what, we, we've checked this guy out as well, and you know, you know, no one is perfect. No one will ever be perfect, but you know, this guy, solid. Or this guy, ugh, got to watch out, got to be careful. Number seven, finally, is this person accountable to others? Is this person a committed member of a church or small group where it's not just about them and what they think, and it's all just, all, all just that, and they're just very isolated unto themselves, but are they a functioning member of the body of Christ. If they're not, it's kind of like consulting advice from an amputated part of the body. So you want to be very careful. You want to be very wise. You want to be very passionate, and you want to welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? When you take this kind of approach, you're going to find you're able to separate the wheat from the chaff. You're not going to be getting spiritual indigestion by taking in stuff that was never meant for you to take in, and you'll be nutritious. You're going to be be healthily fed by something nutritious from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God. Do you believe that in this place, church? Is that helpful in this place? This coming year, I believe God wants to do greater things in and through your lives. But if we want to experience those greater things, so much is going to depend on how much we practice humility and how much we take God's word seriously, and how much we welcome the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so church, in 2019, let's practice humility every day. In 2019, every day, let's take God's word seriously. And in 2019, every day, let's welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you receive that? Can you give God a big hand and a big shout in this place this morning? Come on, give God a big hand and a big shout today. Let's all stand to our feet. Can ask our team to come up and lead us in a song. Let's respond to God. Turn your neighbor on your right and your left. Give him a high five and say, God's unchanging love is changing my life. Tell them that right now. And the first thing you want to do is, those of you who've never received Jesus Christ into your life before and you want to be forgiven of your sins, the most awesome prayer you could ever pray is to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And it's as simple as praying a prayer that we want to lead you in today. If you have been to church before, or this is your first time in church, but you've never opened up your heart to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins, we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, right here. It's as simple as praying this prayer. If that's you, you want to be forgiven of your sins, and you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life, would you just raise your hand to heaven right now? Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. Don't, don't be looking around. No one else looking around. You just start, you know, you just raise your hand to heaven as your response to God today. Why don't you lift your hand to God? right now. 
Praise God. Anyone else? Yeah, that's right. Praise God. I see that. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? No one else looking around. This is between them and God, you and God. Anyone else who wants to receive Jesus Christ into their life today? Want to be forgiven of your sins? Just raise your hand to heaven. Praise God. Why don't you do this with me right now? Why don't you raise your hand high to heaven if that's you? And those of you who've prayed this prayer before, let's pray this together with them in support of what they're doing right now. Let's all pray loud together and and just say this. Repeat after me and say, Dear Jesus, Jesus, thank you. For your unchanging, unchanging, life-changing love. love. Today, Today, I believe believe you died on the cross cross to pay for my sins. sins. That you rose again again to give me life. life. And so I welcome you. I I open up my heart heart and say, please come in. in. Forgive me my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Spirit. Thank you that starting today, I am forgiven of my sins. I am a child of God. I am a citizen of heaven. And the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together, church? Come on.